Hello and welcome to this very special edition of 101 George Street, the podcast for Mowbray, Scotland's national centre for children's literature and storytelling. My name is John Malloy and for the next 20 or so minutes I will be your guide through the worlds of children's literature, storytelling and creative learning. I'd like to welcome Maisie Chan to the show. Maisie is a children's writer and the recent recipient of the Dr. Gavin Wallace Fellowship Award. Maisie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. We're happy to have you. I should say at home that we're conducting this podcast, this interview over Zoom. So if the sound quality is a little bit erratic, we do apologise. Maisie, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. What inspires you and how does your own background influence the way you approach your writing? So I'm a great believer that anything can be a story. So I'm influenced often by people that I've met, family members or my friend's grandmother, for example. I've written a story about her. Or she's, it's not about her, but she's inspired other characters. So people that I know, workplaces that I've been in, things I see just daily. I think as a writer, you need to fill up your well of experience. And sometimes you don't know that you're doing that, but just experiencing different people and letting yourself do different things. So try new things or influence how you come up with a story. Um, So, for example, when I was younger, I wanted to live in America, I think because I'd seen lots of TV shows in America. So I went to live in America. And then when I was in my 20s, I wanted to live in Asia. So I went to live in Taipei. And I think those sort of experiences of living in other places also influence story and seeing things from different people's points of view. Mm. So for me, just everyday things can be a story. That's interesting that you say that because I know identity is quite an important element in your writing. And it's quite important to you. This idea of, of, of identity and how your identity may or may not influence your work. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, so I am British Chinese. I was born in Birmingham, but my parents arrived from Hong Kong in the 70s. And my foster parents, who became my adoptive parents, were white working class Brummies, which are people from Birmingham. Lots of my friends growing up were Pakistani or black or white. So I had a very multicultural upbringing. You know, Birmingham is one of the most, most multicultural cultural place in England and in the UK so I'd go to my Muslim friend's house to play and her mum would give me apple and just different influences like that like um, my foster brother's would live in a takeaway sometimes so I would go and visit them and so a lot of that goes into my writing my characters are often multicultural characters my characters are usually working class salt of the earth type characters because that's the people those are the people that I grew up with and have been around most of my life and my parents were a bit older than me so you know my my dad recently died he was 85 but um, we, you know, we spent a lot of time together through the last 20 years of his life. So a lot of my stories have got older people in them. And like I was a carer for him and responsible for him when my mum died. So a lot of my stories have got like younger people and older people. So there's lots of intergenerational stories. And I also like to write stories about two different people from different cultures that come together. And then what happens in the story might be that they both accept each other. So there's a lot of stories that are right where there where two people come together that are not from the same place I quite like the fish out of water scenario so yeah my background has influenced my writing quite a lot and I, th- I think that might be the, still the case actually because I've noticed that you don't have a Scottish accent like me you haven't got a Scottish accent <laughs> no. 
No, what? I've got a slightly Birmingham accent, a Brummie accent. And when I moved to Glasgow, one of the guys in Tesco that was serving me was, he was really happy to hear my accent. He was like, oh, we don't get many Brummies up here. So that was really nice. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've found living in Scotland, the people have been very welcoming. The actual landscape, it could be quite inspiring. Just the, the variation in the landscape, the differences in the landscape. Does the environment or the environment that you're in, does that tend to influence you when it comes to your approach to the work? So I live in the West End of Glasgow which for me is a bubble because when I travel to the outskirts and you know out the west end I think that's the real Glasgow it's quite a white working class place and um, I remember going to Ayr and I've been to Troon and I remember seeing working class people on the beach and thinking ah those are the people that I grew up with but because I I look Chinese and like live in the west end of Glasgow that it's almost I don't fit in with those people anymore you know I grew up on pies and chips and baguettes and you know my dad worked as a cleaner and my mum was a dinner lady. You know, I've been to uni, so I think my writing is a way of a homage almost to my working class roots. I haven't written that many stories in Glasgow. I've written a novel that's based in Birmingham. I've written a few short stories that are set in Glasgow, but I, I think I will write more stuff being as I live here now. So yeah, my environment does sometimes feature in my stories. Maisie, I know you've got an interest in world stories. One of your recent uh, works that you have done is a publication called Stories from Around the World, where you look at myths and legends. What is it about these stories that you find interesting? and inspiring well i really enjoyed writing the collection of stories uh stories from around the world which is published by scholastic and what i found was that often very famous stories that we know in europe such as cinderella has different versions around the world so i wrote a story about a girl called Pear Blossom, and she's Korean, but actually the story is Cinderella. So the plot was very similar. And there's also another story called Tam and Cam, and that's from Vietnam, and that's another Asian Cinderella story. So I think what I liked doing the research, because I researched old fairy tales and old myths from around the world, was that actually a lot of the stories that we tell each other are universal. They're actually the, the stories and the connection that we have are all very similar. So I, I did a collection and some of the stories were famous stories like Little Red Riding Hood. One of them was Sinbad the Sailor. But then I found some more regional, smaller stories. So there's a story from Ireland about Theon McCumhale. And he was like this warrior guy who accidentally ate part of the salmon of knowledge. He was cooking it for his master who wanted to be the one to get all the knowledge of the world. But unfortunately, this young man got a bit of the salmon fat on his hand and uh, he got all the knowledge of the world. So I really loved learning about those stories because they weren't that as famous as like Hans Christian Andersen or the Grimm Tales. Uh, and there was another story I wrote in the anthology, which was to do with fairies in Wales. So that was a story based off Anglesey. I think if we look at lots of the world stories, actually we can find we've got lots more in common than we have a, 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 in terms of difference really. But also, yeah, you, you learn about different cultural things. So I did stories about Maui, who is a Polynesian demigod he's in the, the film Moana um, but again he had stories in New Zealand to you know um, Fiji all over Polynesia which are sometimes thousands of miles apart but the stories had traveled and that was really interesting for me so yeah 
I, I did enjoy that, that, that time of looking at stories and then trying to find a way to tell them to contemporary readers, because sometimes they don't make sense. When you read the originals, the structure's not right or they don't quite make sense. So I enjoyed making sense of those original stories. It's fascinating. They do say, actually, that a lot of these universal stories are based on archetypes. And I know Carl Jung yeah. had, a, had a lot of opinions on this idea of universal characters cropping up no matter where you are on the planet, no matter what culture or what your cultural background is. These characters, the archetypes of the mother, the archetypes of the villain, the thief, the father figure, they tend to pop up. And yeah. I know the, the, the Seven Stories Centre in England is called Seven stories because of the theory that there's only really seven universal stories from around the world so it's interesting that you've 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 worked in that field and you've looked at that yes so I've done a bit of screenwriting um, and I think it was Robert McKee who wrote a book called story a lot of the screenwriting gurus have got these ideas that there's only a certain type of certain amount of stories because when you do screenwriting you have to look at structure and the plot very closely and genre so there's lots about plot and genre and story when you do screenwriting so yeah some people think there's only seven but I did meet a lady recently who said she thinks there's only one story and that is a stranger comes to town so the stranger could be metaphorically your own darkness or it could be Jaws or it could be a villain or it could be um, lost but she said she feels there's really just one story that it's a stranger comes to town something happens and then the world changes so I'm not sure that's her, that's her theory <laughs> that's an interesting theory I think um, there's, there's a bit of truth in that I know you've also done some work in the past exploring and looking at the character of Hua Mulan Obviously, a lot of people will know that character from the Disney film. Obviously, she's a, a, folk, a folklore character as well. Why that particular character? I was actually asked to write about her uh, for the Ladybird Tales of Superheroes because they wanted to show that she wasn't a superhero in the terms of having superpowers, but she was brave and she fought against gender conformity. And so in my story, in my version, there's lots of different versions of Mulan. In my version, her father taught her how to fight before she got conscripted as a man. So she disguised herself as a man and, and, and went in her father's place because he was ill. So I just wrote a slightly different version where she, he had this really close relationship with her and she didn't want to be confined to women's activities like sewing on the loom. She wanted to be learning martial arts. So uh, I tried to make it action packed and suitable for an audience of boys and girls. So I think it's important that boys see that women can be strong and brave just as boys can be. That was my take on the Mulan stories that, uh, you know, girls can, can learn to fight and be warriors as well. In May of this year, you became the 2020 recipient of the Dr. Gavin Wallace Fellowship. How does that make you feel? Um, I was really happy to get the fellowship. I didn't know that I was going to be picked. Uh, I thought maybe they would want someone who was Scottish, not a Brummie. So I was really um, flattered and humbled to be chosen. Uh, I'm a children's writer, so I, you know I'm very happy because often children's writers don't get the opportunity to do these kind of fellowships. So yes, very ecstatic to be honest. <laughs>
fantastic. And I, I should say that you will be the writer in residence at Mowbray, which is Scotland's National Centre for Children's Literature and Storytelling. Are you looking forward to developing that relationship? Yes. So I can't wait to actually go and see the garden. So part of the brief for getting the fellowship is that you go to the Netherland Discovery Garden at Mowbray and are inspired to write stories. So obviously I can't go there at the moment, but I've been sent lots of archives and photos and just lots of plans of the garden. So I can kind of try and come up with my own stories inspired by that. But also I want to speak to other people that have been there so I can get their point of view and their input about the garden. But I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun to write fun fantasy stories, which is not, I don't usually write those things. I usually write quite realistic socially realist stuff so um, I'm quite looking forward to writing more like J.M. Barry just let my imagination go so yeah I can't wait to go and see it. Uh, you mentioned about working as a writer and I'm quite interested particularly for our listeners at home about your experiences of breaking into the industry and what it's like to, to work within the industry. Do you have any advice for up-and-coming aspiring writers? It's a long game <laughs> so I've been doing this for quite a long time so It was 2006 when I decided, right, I want to be a writer and I invested in myself. I've done lots of courses, lots of creative writing courses, lots of weekend courses. If you want to be a certain writer, for example, if you want to be a children's writer, you need to read a lot of children's literature. You need to go to the bookstores, the libraries, read for the age group that you want to write for, read old stuff, read new stuff, and also... You have to have perseverance because you'll get rejections and you've got to spend time on your craft and making your writing better. So don't give up. I think my tip is don't give up. Keep learning. It's a journey and don't expect publication to be the end all. You know, enjoy writing for writing's sake, not just publication. But it is, I, I do love being an author, even though it's not, it's not easy. You don't go into this job thinking it's easy because it, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a vocation, would you say? Yes, yes. Yeah, you've got to love it. How are you coping with the lockdown? What's your lockdown routine? So I'm working from home, but also my husband is here and my two children. So I try to do homeschooling in the morning. So usually after lunch, they can watch TV or do what they want or paint or do some art and I can get on the laptop and come up with some ideas or do emails um, or work on my website or that sort of stuff and then I work at the weekend so if I've got something that needs writing like a new story or I need to edit I'll work at the weekend I try and keep sane by going to the little we've got a communal garden that we have to share I live in a townhouse in Glasgow Uh, so we look out the window and we see if anyone's down there and if it's free we'll all run down there and it looks like a secret garden. There's lots of beautiful plants and flowers in bloom. So it's quite nice sitting out there. And also I've started to do yoga more regularly. So I, I am trained as a yoga teacher, but I haven't taught since moving to Scotland. And actually when the lockdown, I realised what was going to keep me sane was doing yoga, trying to be healthy, meditating and just doing lots of self-care. I think, um, yeah, 
self-care is very important at this time because we are restricted but I think if we can change the way we talk about stuff and not think that we're stuck at home but that we're safe at home like change the semantics that we're using then we can get through this and also one of the things from the fellowship was that our imaginations are not in lockdown we might be stuck in the house or you know at home or we can't leave the city but our imaginations can go anywhere so as a writer I would encourage people maybe just to pick up a pen and write something for the first time if you've never done that Uh, if you've got more time maybe take this as an opportunity to travel somewhere else with your imagination what is your favorite book and do you have any reading recommendations for parents so my favourite book um, is a children's book and it's The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. And I love that book even now. I mean, it's so old, <laughs> but it's so beautiful. The colours, just the simple words that he uses. And I really like food. So those pages of the food, I just love them. But also it's a very simple story about transformation. Um, so The Hungry Caterpillar is one of my favourite books. I do read a lot of kids fiction, especially contemporary fiction, because I need to keep up with what the, what's in the market, what the people are writing. So I would recommend a book called The Girl Who Stole an Elephant by Nazrana Farouk, who is published by Nosy Crow. And also, if you like magical children's books, A Pinch of Magic by Michelle Harrison is really, really good. It was one of the best books I read last year, and I am recommending that book to everybody. Now, Maisie, what is flash fiction or micro fiction? So, flash fiction has grown all over the world in the last sort of 12 years. It's fiction that usually is less than a thousand words. So you need to get a whole story in less than a thousand words. Often it can be much less. So for example, one of the biggest flash fiction prizes is the Bridgeport Flash Fiction Prize. And you need to write a story within 250 words, uh, which is really difficult. (laughs) So when you write flash fiction, every single word has to count. Often it's good to have a moment in time. Have you tried using a stranger comes to town? (laughs) Uh, I haven't, actually. (laughs) I could do. I think Ernest Hemingway had that very famous story about baby shoes. Baby shoes for sale, never worn, like that. Six-word story. Um, But it's become quite big. You know, there's bath flash flash fiction. I had a piece published in there last winter. It's very short. So if you've got children or if you don't have time, if you work full-time, flash fiction is a good form to go into because you you feel like you've achieved something you know if you can write a story within 500 words for example feel like you've achieved something and then you might write another one where if you've tried to write a 4,000 word story but you haven't quite got to the end you might give up and then not write again so yeah I do recommend trying to get into flash as a new writer because also it, it helps you with vocabulary because you need to be very precise with the words Maisie, thank you very much for joining us today. I think we'll have to leave it there, coming to the end of the programme. I'm sure you'll join us again in the podcast in the future. From me, from everyone in Mowbray, thank you. Thanks very much for having me, and I hope everyone stays well and safe. Thank you. Bye.